Welcome to Downtown the Podcast, Episode 9. From Bangor, Maine, the Zone Radio Studios, Rich Kimball, Kerry Haskell here. Downtown the Podcast is brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. And by Nice Brewing Company, German-style beer from the woods of Maine. I think we're all bozos on this bus. Don't crush that dwarf. Hand me those pliers. Uh, just a couple of the albums from the incredible Firesign Theater who reshaped comedy with their albums that they called Soundscapes. Late 60s through the 70s and 80s and uh, various reunions along the way. One of the founding members of that group joins us on this week's podcast, Phil Proctor, who's had a remarkable career. Uh, Phil uh, did stage work, was on Broadway, in The Sound of Music on Broadway, in his first film, he co-starred with Orson Welles and Tuesday Weld. He's done a number of TV shows, including All in the Family, and along with the Firesign Theater Comedy, which led to uh, film, live performance, concerts, radio work. He's also done a ton of voiceover work over the course of the last 20 years, starting with the Smurfs, 14 years as Howard DeVille on Rugrats. A number of the Disney Pixar films, he's branched out into video games as well. And as we found out when we talked to him, he's still a high-energy guy. Here's our conversation with Phil Proctor of the Firesign Theater. Hey, good afternoon to you. And it sounds like you've got a full studio there, right? You have two other guys in there with you? We do. It's, uh, it's kind of like a circus act. <laughs> <laughs> well, there were four of us uh, in the Firesign Theater, uh, a satirical comedy group that reigned from the late... 60s until I, oh gosh, for 50 years we had a career. We rained, but then the great drought came, <laughs> and there's no more rain here in Southern California. In fact, Rich, I'm calling you from up on the upper patio of my canyon home near Benedict, uh, pardon me, in Benedict Canyon near uh, Beverly Hills, uh, area code 90210, and I'm actually brushing the ash off of the table, which was the fallout from a fire that we had a couple of days ago uh, that was uh, uh, scarily, scarily close to where I live right now. That is a very scary indeed. Well, Phil, your new book is absolutely wonderful. It's called Where's My Fortune Cookie? Uh, my, I want to get it right, My Psychic Surrealistic Story. Uh, you've also got a new podcast out, but the, the book, I, I couldn't read it fast enough. I wanted to go back and read it again. So many incredible stories, and I, I don't even know where to begin, but let's start with the, the role that the psychic phenomena and psychic activity has played in your life. It started early, and it's something that has never gone away for you. No, that's true. Uh, as you will know if you read the book, or you, uh, which is available, by the way, at Amazon.com or at FiresignTheater.com or at PlanetProctor.com. Uh, if you read the book, you'll learn or hear the podcast, you'll learn that I was born of Irish and Amish ancestry, very unusual combination. And a book was written about my family called Rosanna of the Amish, which gets into all of that. That actually became a podcast TV show <laughs> on the Internet years ago. In any event, uh, I seem to have been born with uh, high psychic abilities from both sides of the family, because as you will see in the book, there are a bunch of of strange things that happened. And in fact, my whole Firesign Theater career was connected to odd coincidences and amazing timing. 
but the book starts off with a bang, as you know. Mm. Uh, when when uh, Peter Bergman and I, who were touring as half the wits of the Firesign Theater, <clears throat> had performed up in San Francisco and went for a late-night meal, like at 2.30 in the morning, uh, to a very famous Chinese restaurant called the Golden Dragon. And no sooner was I bending over my second bowl of soup when these three nutty uh, Chinese guys who represented the Joe Fong gang, uh, no, pardon me, yeah, the Joe Fong gang, came, came into the place to try to shoot up the, uh, the uh, Wa Ching, who were sitting in the back of the restaurant and were obviously watching them come in, because they went <laughs> under the table. Uh, five people were killed, 11 wounded, in what at the time, in 1977, was described as the worst massacre in American history. Ho, 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 ho. But the, the point of it is that that whole event had been, had been predicted to me a few months earlier by an old girlfriend of mine. She was actually a young girlfriend then, but she's older now, as are we all. And, and, so, and I didn't really think about that until after the shooting was over and we were, you know, I was out on the road performing. We had to perform the next day, Peter and I, at uh, Boulder, Colorado. And I remember <laughs> Peter said that, uh, uh, that uh, no, I said, luckily, uh, I was in this gangland shooting, but luckily I uh, ordered the duck. And Peter said, and I ordered the scared prones. And yes, indeed, we, we both escaped with our lives. But that was a startling psychic event that I thought would be a good uh, kickoff point for the book. Well, it sure was. You also, along the way, uh, ran into and, and got to know someone we've talked about here on the program before uh, in regard to his work in remote viewing. One of the most interesting people I've ever read about, Andre Proharic. Andre Proharic, yes, indeed. Well, it so happened that when... Uh, it's it's such a strange story, and I believe it's all in the book. But I had become excited when Peter and I were performing in Chicago a few days before a gig in New York, where we were also interviewed for Talk of the Town by the New Yorker, by Tony Hiss, Alger Hiss's son. Please, the, the strange <laughs> connections go on forever. But anyway, uh, Uri Geller had just begun to perform his magic on television, Bending Spoons et al., and it so happened that I said to Peter, I want to meet this guy. So we go to New York to perform at the bitter end or the bottom line or the bitter line. I can't remember what it was. And there was a phone message waiting for me. It said, uh, Yuri Geller wants to meet you. Right? Okay? <laughs> and, and it's from this girl. It's from somebody named Sharon McCann, who I didn't know. That's because it was my old friend Sharon who got married. Now she had the last name McCann. And it turns out that she was working with Andrea Poharich and Uri Geller up in Osning, New York, at this psychic research center that they had created up there. <coughs> and at the, pardon me, at the time that I was performing, uh, they were in Israel talking to aliens in the desert. Okay, so they weren't available. <laughs> they weren't available to meet me. But later on, Andrea got together with Peter and me, and we had a lunch with him. And he he described how he was receiving messages from the aliens through his watch. Because he had a watch that was in it was in Hebrew, but it told the time in Israel and in uh, his present location in New York, and he said that there was some formula that he used, some Hebraic numerical formula that he used in order to translate the the, the stopping of his watch. They would stop his watch at mm. certain times, and he would have to write down the letter that was signified. And that's how they were communicating with him. Okay, fine. So after this meeting. We go back to our hotel to get ready for our, our act that night, and I can't get into my room, okay? 
Now, I have to preface this by saying one of the things that Sharon told me on the night that we spent together when she predicted this gangland shooting, saying that you were going to be in the middle of a gangland shooting with foreigners involved, people will be killed and wounded around you, it'll be after a performance, but you and Peter will, will uh, uh, emerge unscathed. All right. But she said to me during that night, she said, the sign that the aliens are telling you that they like what you and Peter are doing because we were playing aliens in our, in our act, by the way, is that lights will be going on and off around you. Well, this has been going on now for 40 years of lights going on and off around me. I think I tell some of the stories in, in the book, uh, and I, won't, I don't dare start to tell you all of them now, but it is, it's significant and it's real and it keeps happening to me. So we go back to my hotel room, uh, and I'm going to get ready for the act. I can't get into my room. So we call the, the detective. Uh, it was the Barbizon Plaza, I believe. We call the, the, the uh, house dick, and he comes up, and he has these things, and he opens the door, and the light is on in, in the room. Up, the, the ceiling light is on in the room. And he says to me, he said, you know, I had to actually throw the lock, the inside lock. Uh, and he said, you know, you can only do that if you're in the room. You know, when, when you're in a hotel room and you right. turn the thing off, he said, you can only do that if there's someone in the room. And there was nobody in the room. So he couldn't explain that either. Okay. Please, it goes on and on. I don't spend too much time thinking about this stuff. I'm just aware of it. And that's what I, I would say to your listeners. Uh, if you really want guidance of any sort, you know, listen to those little inner voices of yours and, and be observant as to what's happening around you. Not only can it save your life, but it will also help to guide you uh, through life and put you, and I think move you in the right direction towards the good things that can happen to you. Phil, you've had so many successes in your life, but I learned from reading the book that you were also part of uh, what Mel Brooks has said was the only failure in his career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. There was a wonderful film that came out a, a couple of decades ago called The Travelers, uh, which I think in, in French is called Les Visiteurs, The Visitors, and, uh, and it was a great hit for Gaumont uh, Production Company, and it was about uh, a medieval knight and his, and his surf who have to come to a modern, have to time travel through a wizard's uh, a brew into modern France in order to right a wrong that happened way back in like the, the 13th century. Okay, and it's a very, very funny comedy. Well, it was all in French, of course, and even though it was very successful with subtitles, Mel Brooks and a group of other people decided we were going to put it out overdubbed in English. So I was lucky enough to be cast in one of the major roles, along with a whole bunch of other talented, wonderful people. And we went in, and for weeks, we very laboriously matched our American words to the, to the French lip movements. And, <laughs> and, and Mel thought it would be really funny if we all did it with a French accent. Because, of course, a French accent is very funny. You know, think of Clouseau. It's not my dog. You know, it's funny. So we are all speaking with, you know, these French accents. The problem was that the French that they were using in this movie was a very fast kind of slangy Parisian French. And they swallow their words and they talk very, very fast. So here we are talking French, you know, with French accents very fast to try to think to match the, the lip movements. Well, when they played the film in Encino to a test audience, they thought we were speaking French. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> and even though we had been invited to a cast and crew screening, we never were sent tickets to that screening, and we learned later that they were so, that they 
they just decided we can't release this movie. And yes, indeed, as Mel has told me, this was the only failure he ever had in his wonderful long career, which is still going on. God bless him. We're talking with Phil Proctor here on Downtown. We recently lost a uh, talented Harry Anderson, who was a great friend of yours. You encouraged him uh, to pursue his career, go to Los Angeles. What do you remember best about Harry? Well, you know, I, right before I went off to the Here Now Festival in Kansas City, uh, which was a, a, ba- a major audio festival last weekend where they premiered my podcast of Where's My Fortune Cookie, which you can catch up with on Podbean, podbean.com, this Friday. You'll hear the second episode. Uh, and, and right before I left, there were two memorials for Harry. One of them was uh, at the Magic Castle, naturally. And uh, there, there's one quote that I have been using for uh, quite a few years that Harry uh, came up with that I think is, will be pertinent to all of you sitting in that studio there at WZON. And here's what he said. He said, magic and radio are very similar. It has to be believed to be seen. Absolutely. That's great. Isn't that beautiful? Luckily, my wife, Melinda Peterson, and I got to spend some time with Harry in his new house in Ashland, uh, um, in Asheville, excuse me. I, I'm still wiping ash off of my table here. <laughs> <laughs> ash and you shall leave. Anyway, in Asheville, uh, and, uh, North Carolina. And, uh, he had moved from another house and I, and he, he had all kinds of strange carnival stuff in there, like a two headed, two headed baby in formaldehyde. And I said, so Harry, did you move your, your electric chair as well? And he said, oh, Phil, you haven't heard. I have two electric chairs now. <laughs> Okay, how many friends do you have who have two <laughs> electric chairs? <laughs> oh, he was he was such a dear friend, such a, and he was so loyal to to all of us, and stayed in touch always. Whenever he, he was in town to perform, we would you know be invited and and have VIP treatment and and hang out with him and his beautiful daughter Ava. They did a mind reading act together that was absolutely mind boggling, and he will be sorely missed but uh, there a day doesn't go by where i don't think of something funny that he that he said to me we're talking with phil proctor his new book is fantastic it's called where's my fortune cookie uh, i learned that you uh, were there and played a role obviously in helping cloris leachman get high for the first time <laughs> yes <laughs> and actually i've just learned that there are home movies of this happening <laughs> on our on a DVD release that the Firesign Theater put out a couple of months ago called uh, Everything You Know Is Wrong, the Firesign Theater Declassified. And it's a two-DVD set of our rare television and film appearances. Uh, and, and among the whole movies, which comprise of part of the second DVD, there were apparently pictures of us turning Cloris Leachman on <laughs> in the desert of the Laguna Ensalada, in Mexico, where we were all where we, we were all getting together to uh, to, to to film uh, the only movie uh, that Firestone Theater actually wrote uh, is called Zachariah, starring John Rubenstein and Dan uh, Don Johnson, and uh, we were out scouting locations in the desert, and uh, and and Cloris Cloris's husband George uh, Eastman was that his name anyway her husband was directing the film producing and directing the film. And, uh, and at that time, she wasn't with us. He wasn't with us. And so, indeed, we were smoking some good Mexican dope, and, uh, and she'd never turned on before. She loved it, 
And the next thing I know, she won an Academy Award. <laughs> More with Phil Proctor of Fire Sign Theater coming up. We'll talk about those Fire Sign days when we come back. But first, a quick word from our friends at Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With a network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Back about five years ago, a couple of friends got together to create balanced beers that paid respect to the rich German tradition of brewing, layered with the nuance and eccentricity of modern brewing. And with that, Nice Brewing Company was born. Based in Limerick, Maine, right in the foothills of the White Mountains, Dustin and Tim combine a love of beer, science, and their German heritage for truly unique brews. Whether it's the nice Weiss, the sun and shine, IPAs, stouts, porters, or any of the seasonal offerings, you'll love what they've got brewing at Nice. Ask for beers from Nice at your favorite restaurant or bar. Nice. G-N-E-I-S-S. Work hard. Play hard. Be nice. I'd in any way want to put myself into a confrontatory position, either with the United Snakes or with them. And you can believe me, because I never lie, and I'm always right. So wake up and take a look at your only logical choice. Me, George Tirebiter. Paid for by the Tirebiter for Political Solutions Committee, Sector R. This is you, TV, for you, the viewer. The Howl of the Wolf movie. <laughs> Presenting honest stories of working people as told by rich Hollywood stars. <laughs> this morning's wacky feature, Porgy and Mudhead in High School Madness with Dave Kasman as Porgy and Joe Bertman as Mudhead. Uh, if you're a fan of comedy, you know the unique stylings of the Firesign Theater from Don't Crush That Dwarf, Hand Me Those Pliers, up more with our guest on the podcast this week, Phil Proctor of Firesign Theater. We have to talk about Firesign Theater because of the incredible damage it did to uh, my adolescent <laughs> psyche back in the day. It all began uh, with uh, what Radio Free Oz with Peter Bergman. Yeah, and uh, I'd gone to Yale with Peter Bergman, and he'd written the lyrics for two musicals uh, by Austin Pendleton, who is a legendary name back east. Mm. Uh, and I starred in them. One was Tom Jones, and I played Tom, and the other was Booth is Back in Town. I played Edwin Booth. And uh, Peter and I became acquainted through the work in the theater. And then we lost touch. Uh, and in the book, it, it points out that I once I had a romantic liaison with the beautiful Susan Ansbach, who passed away uh, maybe three or four months ago, broke my heart. Uh, and... and uh, Peter showed up at the, my door in Greenwich Village on West uh, 11th Street with a guitar wearing an army uniform 
and he proceeded to serenade me and Susan at breakfast <laughs> with working songs, you know, uh, 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 this land is made of mountains, this land is made of mud. So uh, that was amazing. And then off he went, disappeared again. Many years later, uh, after understudying Brandon DeWilda in a play on Broadway, Brandon DeWilda, for the older people in the audience, you remember him as the little boy yelling, Shane, Shane, come back, Shane, okay? He went on to have a pretty good career in films. And at the time that uh, I connected with him, understudying him in in a play called Race of Hairy Men, he was actually trying... He had learned to play the guitar, and he was trying to uh, move his career into a singing career. So I met all these wonderful musicians at the time. Uh, anyway, he, we decided to go out to L.A. together. We connected up with Peter Fonda, Don't Ask, and we ended up, we ended up on the Sunset Strip on the night of the infamous Sunset Strip riots, which happened because the youth were, they were trying to impose a curfew on the young people to keep them from protesting the Vietnamese War and openly smoking dope on the street. And so the, the sheriff's department and the L.A. police department per, per, performed one of these pincer movements, getting all of us in the middle. And I sat down in protest with Peter and Brandon, and I sat down on Peter Bergman's face, or actually a picture of it. <laughs> it, was, it was an open edition of the L.A. Free Press, the beloved Freep, and I pulled it out from under my butt, and it said, KPFK newsman Peter Bergman interviews returning Vietnam War veterans. So after this whole evening was over, where you know Peter got beaten up and Brandon got arrested, and I was writing for the East Village Other, so I had a press card with a big eye on it, and that apparently scared the police, so they didn't touch me, because <laughs> I held it up, and they just you know, swarmed around me like a hot knife through butter. So the next day I call Peter. He says, yeah, I'm the Wizard of Oz on a show that I've created called Radio Free Oz on listener-supported radio, KPFK. Why don't you come down? I'm on five nights a week, and we'll play. I go down there. I meet these two other bozos, Phil Austin and David Osman, who are associated with the show. We discover we're all fire signs. I'm a Leo. Peter's a Sagittarian. David's a Sagittarian. Austin, unfortunately, is an Aries, but it's still a fire sign. And, and we started improvising together that very first night and we discovered that, like, long-lost jazz musicians getting together to, to, to gig, we, we played off of one another beautifully, and the Oz Firesign Theater was born. And, and so many great albums, live performances, radio appearances, uh, the movie Zachariah that you mentioned. And, and you must have been, I have to think, you're the first people in comedy that got, as you point out, heckled with your own material. Yeah, well, we were very unique in, in, in many ways. Uh, the Firesign Theater got a contract with Columbia Records because of the fame of Radio Free Eyes. Peter Bergman created the first love-in on Easter weekend in Elysian Field, and like 60,000 people showed up. The first love-in. And that was an amazing event that drew great attention to him. So uh, a producer named Gary Usher at Columbia said he wanted to do a Radio Free Oz album, and uh, Phil Austin said, no, 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 you want to do an Oz Firesign Theater album. And he said, anything you want. So uh, we went in and we did this. We had to drop the Oz because Disney was doing an animated feature called Back to Oz, and they sent us a nasty letter that the rat signed himself, said you can't use the name Oz. So we didn't, which, you know, Firesign Theater is confusing enough, so that's fine. And we did our first record, and it was moderately successful, but... A guy named John McClure, one of the suits at Columbia, went into a meeting where they were about ready to drop us and said, you've got to keep these guys signed. They're going to do great things. They've invented a long-form, multi-layered comedy format 
that's going to be revolutionary, which indeed it was. And he signed us to a spoken arts contract. That meant that for a reduced royalty, and we don't believe in royalty in this country anyway, (laughs) we do have President Trump with a crown on his head, but a reduced royalty, we got unlimited free studio time. And that's why we were able to create all of these complex albums. And now I want to share something with you guys. Uh, I can say this now. The Firesign Theater's archives have just been purchased by the Library of Congress in Washington, ACDC, for half a million dollars. Wow. Wow. Okay? That is so you can celebrate with me uh, over this wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, happening. You know? So it's pretty amazing. About seven years ago, they inducted one of our albums, which I'm sure you remember, Don't Crush That Dwarf Hand Me, The Pliers, okay, <laughs> yeah. which predicted channel surfing, among other things, uh, into the uh, historical or, or, uh, or hysterical recordings uh, in Washington, D.C., along with Jimi Hendrix's work and Martha and the Vandellas, whom we had lunch with in Washington when they when, when for the ceremony to induct the album. And now they have they have put the cherry on the top of the Sunday by purchasing our archives. Well, you guys predicted a lot of things in Fire Sign Theater. Yeah, we did. We did indeed. Uh, one of my favorites, uh, we did an album called I Think We're All Bozos on This Bus. Okay? Now, I have an iPhone in my hand, and I'm going to say something to Siri. Hold on a minute. This is Worker speaking. Hello. Hello, Auckland. <laughs> Function, can I perform for you? Hello, L. Okay. <laughs> Now, for those of you who know the album, <laughs> I played a character called Clem, and when the, when the computer asked for my name, I hesitated, Ah, uh, Clem. So I became known as Ah, uh, Clem to the computer. <laughs> and what I was basically playing in this album, I think we're all bozos on this bus, which predicted the computer revolution, uh, was I played a disaffected worker uh, at a thing called the Future Fair, which was a government Disneyland designed to make people happy about, you know, the state of their lives. <laughs> Even though they were unemployed, uh, they could enjoy this free future fair. And I, I became a hacker, and I planted a virus in the mainframe computer, which was called Dr. Memory, Direct Readout Memory. And the, and the, uh, the question that I asked, it was a koan that, uh, instead of like an actual virus, designed to, to, to throw the computer off. Because the computer could only think in yes and no plus and minus, all right? That's the way computers, that's computer language. So I asked, I said, why did the porridge bird lay his egg in the air? And the computer could not handle this question, and it, it, it brought him down. It destroyed the government computer. And the whole future fair, which was holographic and, and run by the, by the computer, just went away, just disappeared. Well, many years later, I played uh, a major role in, uh, or I should say, a supernumerary role in uh, uh, the, the Pixar movie uh, uh, Bugs Life that my, my fireside partner David Osman played a larger role in. And at the cast and crew party up in Emeryville, where Pixar has its offices, I met Steve Jobs, who had just purchased, uh, bought into the company because he wanted to help them develop their incredible computer animation. And he said to me when I met him, I'm a big fan of yours. And I realized he was taller than I was, so I said, yes, you are. Now, but what I didn't know was that many years previously, uh, he had been a fan of the Fireside, such a great fan of Fireside Theater, that he showed up at one of our record signing parties at a record store in Berkeley, California. And when we were assembling all of our archives to send to Washington, we came across a bunch of pictures of the young Steve Jobs 
standing with the Firesign Theater as a wow. fan. Okay? So he put that homage to the Firesign Theater into uh, the iPhone. And that, to me, is like, that's really a, a, a thrill. That's a thrill. Fantastic. I want to talk uh, briefly, too, about your uh, remarkable career as a voiceover artist. Uh, you mentioned the Pixar films, 14 years as Howard DeVille on Rugrats, Smurfs, video games. How much fun is that for you? Because you continue to do a lot of that. Well, of course it's fun, because as you get older, Rich, <laughs> you don't have to learn lines, right? That's even better. <laughs> you go, you go <clears throat> let me clear my throat, you go into the studio, and there's a script in front of you, which, of course, you've, you've played with before you go in, and you get to do your lines alone several different ways, right? Or you get to interact with your other fellow actors. I remember the first time I got a voiceover job was with Hanna-Barbera, and it was on the Smurfs, okay? And so I went into the studio out in the, in the valley, and I walk into the studio, and there is, is Jonathan Winters and Alan Young and all of these other heroes of, of my comedic imagination, inspirational heroes. And I got to sit down at a microphone next to them and play along and do a, a series of Smurf cartoons. I was finally cast as a character called King Gerard with my little clockwork Smurf. Uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, and we did a whole bunch of, of stuff. And then I did all kinds of other stuff, the Flintstones and Richie Rich and Scooby-Doo, because Hanna-Barbera at the time was the Disney studio for a Saturday morning cartoon. Right. And, 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 and that was my introduction to cartoon work, which has continued right up to this day. All right, Phil, I, I would not normally ask this live, but you're, you're just the best there is. So do you think you could do a, a promo for us, for our show live? And mention sure. uh, that you're listening to Downtown with Rich Kimball. Hello, you stupid fools. This is Rocky Rococo of the Fireside Theater, and you're listening to Downtown, where all the lights are low, and so is the host, Rich Kimball. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> Oh man! On, on, uh, and, uh, you can cut this in on WZON. You're in the zone. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic, Phil. We could talk with you all day. I appreciate you making time for us. I hope we can do this again. The book is wonderful. It's called "Where's My Fortune Cookie." Check out the Planet Proctor podcast as well. And I hope we can have you back sometime with us. I would love to talk to you guys again. Although, although obviously they were struck dumb by our conversation. So I hope you guys have a continued fun conversation together there in Bengal. By the way, is that old Paul Bunyan statue still towering over the city? It is indeed, but we put up a casino to block his view of the river and to tick him off. <laughs> well, uh, that's the one thing I remember from my visit through Bangor when we were touring around the country. And, and I'm very happy to, to, uh, to have a chance to, to say hello to everybody up there. Phil, thank you so much. We wish you continued success. Hope to do it again down the Good, road. We'll talk again. Great stuff with Phil Proctor of Firesign Theater. He uh, he got some energy. <laughs> he certainly does. And uh, I knew Firesign just a little bit from some Dr. Demento stuff and when I used to be a loyal listener in the 80s into the 90s. But, man, yeah, the, learn, learning more about it uh, with this interview was, was a joy. Uh, and check out Phil's book, Where's My Fortune Cookie? It is great. So many stories that we didn't get to. And he's a guy we've got to have uh, back on the podcast, back on the radio show another time because he was so good. So many stories and has seemingly met 
everybody in the entertainment business along the way. Great stuff here. Bill Proctor of Firesign Theater joining us this week on Downtown the Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, be sure to tell your friends, subscribe to the podcast, spread the word if you would, and uh, we'll take care of you. Check will be in the mail anytime soon. We originate from the Zone Radio Studios in Bangor, Maine. For Carrie Haskell, I'm Rich Kimball. We'll see you next time on Downtown the Podcast. Downtown the Podcast.